0: That confused me a bit coming in and I was looking for John, thinking, where is he? He's not, he's not sitting on the front row, he's not leading worship, and he's playing drums. <laughs> is, there no, is there no end to the man's talents? It's um, great to be back, having been away for the last couple of Sundays. Last Sunday I was in Yeovil and the week before I was in Newquay. Uh, good to be down there, but great to be back home this morning. Um, just something else to kind of get you thinking uh, Three times over the course of this year, we're going to be having special gift days. where We're looking to raise another substantial sum of money, uh, sp- especially for what we're doing in terms of, of buildings. So we're looking over the course of the year to raise an additional 50000 over our regular giving, and that's for uh, stuff that we're doing at Ashley Road and also for stuff that we're doing here at Alder Road. So we, um, obviously taking Ashley Road has been a considerable blessing but it's also a considerable additional expense so the running a cost of two buildings and further things we want to do in terms of improving that site and there are things that we uh, ongoingly want to do here as well so over this year we'll be having three special gift days or actually going to be pairs of gift days two Sundays each time looking to raise 50,000 over the year and the first one of those is in two weeks time so the 13th and then the 20th of March we'll be having a gift day Uh, so uh, let's come ready to give let's trust God last year as we Uh, gave for Ashley Road, God kind of pushed us through in terms of our history as a church, of what our expectations were, and our experience in terms of, of giving additionally and giving significant sums, and that's something that God continues to want to grow us in, I believe. So let's, let's look for what God will do amongst us this time, and let's, let's uh, rather than kind of retreating, if we gave last year, and kind of, I've given once, let's keep pushing forward and seeing uh, what God would do in us in terms of enlarging our capacity for generosity and our belief and trust in him. So two weeks' time, 30th, and then the week after, the 20th, um, taking up a special offering, especially for buildings. Uh, progress down at Ashley Road is rapid, those who were down there midweek this week saw that. And even since uh, we were down there on Thursday evening, those who were there, there's been further rapid progress in terms of stuff that's happening. But it's only seven weeks today till we actually start. So seven weeks, all the changes happen. Changes here and changes at Ashley Road. So we don't have long to get ready for all that we're doing. Right, we are thinking today about the theme of friendship and how we can be the kinds of friends who bring joy to other people, help make other people happy. Um, I wonder how many friends you consider yourself to have, or perhaps another way of looking at it would be how many friends do you think that you need? Uh, how many friends is enough, or how many friends is, is insufficient, or, and, and how do you define what a friend is? Is a friend somebody simply you've known for a long time, or is it defined by something that you might do for them or they might do for you? Uh, what defines friendship, and how many friends do you have, and are you happy with the number of friends you have? Would you like more? If you've got too many, would like to get rid of a few? Or where, where are you at in terms of friendship? Because uh, one of the, the big changes over recent years in terms of how many people do friendship is, is the, the, the uh, sudden, out of nowhere, um, birth of, of social media. And that ch- that's changed for many people, how many people do friendship. Facebook has over a billion active users. And some people feel that something like Facebook can greatly increase the number of friends that you have because you can be in connection with all kinds of people that you might not otherwise be able to stay in touch with. There can also be concern that perhaps something like Facebook actually reduces real friendship because if it's just mediated through a computer screen, is that really friendship at all or is it all just fake and insincere and not really genuine? Uh, Out of the billion Facebook users around the world, Apparently, if you drew a line halfway through, half a billion above and half a billion below, at that point, the average uh, Facebook user has about 200 friends, which actually is pretty close to real life um, in terms of how many friends most people have. There's a, a theory called the Dunbar number, which is named after an anthropologist, Robin Dunbar, who did some research in terms of how human societies operate. And he came up with this theory that human beings have a limited capacity for intimacy that sets the number of friends we can have to an average of 150. Some people can manage a few more, some people can't manage quite that many. But typically we have about 150 friends. and And the theory is that we just don't have the brain power to maintain meaningful connection with more people than that. And if you... Gain some friends, then you kind of lose some as well. It's kind of one in, one out because we can't cope with more than about 150. And certainly, I know there are people I've been very good friends with in the past, and the situations change, you move. I think of friends I was used to be friend close friends to before I lived here, and if I saw them now, of course, we'd stop and chat, it'd be great to catch up. But in terms of realistic connection, well it's just gone because I've got a whole load of new friends now, and some of those, so some come in and some go out. We can only cope with about 150 friends in any kind of meaningful way. And, and actually this, this principle, the Dunbar number, works in kind of a, a, a law of three. So the biggest number, the theory goes, is, a, is about the number 1,500. So most of us could probably put a name to a face with about 1,500 people. And then there are about 500 people who we might think of as kind of acquaintances, the people who, if you pass them in the street, you'd stop and say hello to. And then out of that, there are this, then this group, which is the really important number of about 150, and those 150 are people who we probably think of not just as acquaintances, but in some way actual friends, people that we have some degree of emotional connection with. And if you were going to throw a big party, you were having a wedding or an anniversary or something, you, those, are, those are the 150 people that you'd invite. And then that kind of shrinks down again by another rule of three to about 50, or sl- slightly fewer, kind of 30 to 50, and those are the people who we'd think of as not just kind of friends in some kind of loose way, but friends in a closer way. Those are the people who we might kind of actively pursue friendship with and uh, socialize with more regularly. And then out of that, there might be a dozen or so people who we're a bit more intimate with. And that they're the kind of people that if we needed some help, we, we'd turn to them. And then out of that group, there might only be two or three or four or five people who we feel actually really close to. And often those kind of friends are family members as well as friends. It's a blood friendship as well as a relational friendship. Nivea, the skincare company, of which I'm a proud sponsor, <laughs> um, <laughs> did, a, did a survey of 3,000 people in the UK, and they, they, they reckoned on that survey that the average British person has, has 22 mates, uh, but only three people they feel they can really rely on. But that, that's kind of where it is. That, that reflects the research done by Robin Dunbar and all kinds of different societies. If you've got 20, 30, 40, 50 kind of people you think of as pretty good friends and you've got two or three who are really close friends, well, that's that's pretty normal. So we can see this working out through all kinds of different human societies. And the 150 number is really important. It's the basic unit of, of kind of military organization, both in the ancient world. So the Roman army was ordered around groups of about 150. And modern armies are grouped organized around companies of about 150, you've got a company of about 150 blokes and that's then broken down into platoons of 30 or 40 guys and then a platoon is broken down into fire teams of four guys, you see that kind of pattern repeating, Uh, Iron Age villages the same, they grew to about 150 people, if they got bigger than 150 they'd go off and start another village, just couldn't cope kind of with 150 is kind of the number you can work with, it's the number which you can do something with but everybody can still know each other. And it's about what the average Facebook user has in terms of Facebook friends. Now, even Jesus seemed to do friendship according to this principle, even though Robin Dunbar hadn't yet been born. But the way that Jesus did this friendship seemed to work in a similar way. And you can see in the story of Jesus that he had a crowd of about 500 acquaintances and then 120 120 friends and then 12 really close friends. And then out of the 12, there were three particular friends. His inner circle. I see this in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth and talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, But I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Yes, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Yes, in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. When Jesus came back, when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to 500 of the brothers and sisters. That was kind of his big crowd of acquaintance. But that pretty rapidly shrunk down. So in Acts chapter 1, it says, in those days, Peter stood up amongst the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So there was 500 who Jesus appeared to after he was raised from the dead. But the real number of kind of the actual kind of congregation, his real friends, was about 120. It's that, it's that kind of 150 level again, which we see in so many human societies. And of course, within that 120, there were the 12, Mark three fourteen. He appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. These are twelve who were called to be with him. They were called to be friends, and engaged in the work that Christ was engaged in of going out to preach. And then, even amongst the three, there was a smaller group. Mark 17, uh, Matthew 17. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jesus went for this extraordinary encounter on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took three of his disciples. Didn't take the five hundred didn't take the 120, didn't take the 12, took the three, Peter, James, and John, three particular friends. So if you have three close friends you can trust in and turn to, you're doing okay. You're in pretty much the same position that Jesus was. And if you're part of this church, well, you're pretty much in what reflects the maximum number of people that we can realistically stay connected to. So church is a great place in which to experience friendships and it's a great place in which to work out friendship. Actually one of the reasons why we have organized ourselves as we have at Gateway by rather than trying to build one big service with everybody in but meeting in different places is we we want to reflect these kind of principles about how society organizes itself that actually a congregation of 100 to 150 is brilliant. It's enough to do something with, but it's still, we can all know each other. seems to be a good way to organize yourselves, and with leadership teams of a dozen to 30 people, and an eldership team of half a dozen or so. Now, we're doing a series on joy, which is focused on how we can (coughs) get happier in God, and friends can be a real source of joy to us. Friends help us, they encourage us, they strengthen us, they should amuse us. One of the best things about friends—if you've got friends who make you laugh—laughter is good. And all of us experience different levels of friendship. There's a, the, there's a the 500. There's a the 150. There's a the 30. There's a the three. And and we actually need those different levels of friendship to be healthy and to be happy. That if you if you're not connected socially with people in those kind of expanding networks of friendship, that is a cause of of stress, is a cause of depression. You need those kind of networks of friendship to be happy. So you do need a couple of people who you are close to, who you know you can really rely on, who you can call on. And you need a slightly bigger group who you would be prepared to share some personal stuff with. And then you need the crowd, the 150, who you're part of and feel a sense of community with. And then it's great to be plugged into a wider community with uh, hundreds who you've got some kind of acquaintance with. If, y- if, you, if you lack that, then tha- tha- that's then you're not going to flourish as a human being should. And again, it's one of the reasons why church is so great, because church creates a context in which we can experience all those levels of friendship. So my best friends tend to be people from, they are people from within church. Some of my best friends are sitting here this morning, and others are people who I've been friends with because of our connection through church for many years, but are in other churches. But it's that kind of small group I know I could turn to and rely on would look out for me and help me. And then the bigger group who I would love to see and be friends with in the the wider community. Now, we're going to look at um, an example of three men who were particularly close friends, and it's uh, from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, had different friendship circles, different level of friendships with different people. As you read through the New Testament, if you read Paul's letters to the churches, and if you read the book of Acts, it's very clear that the Apostle Paul always did life with friends, he always worked in team, I, he's never on his own, he's always got somebody with him, and he invested in friendship, even though obviously at times this was costly for him, uh, he had all kinds of, d- Colin's taking a picture of me, you're going to get a good one, <laughs> let me stand it. you've got to have one of me looking authoritative, Anything else you need me to do? Just be yourself. It's a dangerous <laughs> dangerous thing to suggest. I have been known to perform for cameras. I'll try and ignore you. Uh, so the Apostle Paul had different circles of, of, of friendship, and, and there's a crowd of people clearly he, he was friends with, and there was a smaller handful of really trustworthy friends. And it's obvious as you read Paul's letters and you read Acts that these friends he had made him happy. Now, this was, this was happiness in the midst of reality. So there were people who at times claimed to be friends of Paul, but weren't. They were phony friends and uh, weren't really looking for his interest, but were looking just for their own. And Paul also knew the, the reality of suffering because of his friend's suffering. If you have a, a friend who is suffering, then you suffer. That's part of the deal. That is part of the commitment of relationship. There is no relationship without suffering. If you open yourself up to friendship, it guarantees suffering at some point because that friendship will cause pain. It will cause pain if arguments happen between you. It will cause pain if the other person suffers. It will cause pain uh, when the friendship ends through uh, moving apart or death. Friendship relationship is full of joy. It brings us happiness, but it also guarantees us being exposed to a measure of pain, which is why some people withdraw from friendship. Now, we need to learn to be those who open ourselves up to friendship, to relationship, and are prepared to bear the cost of that, which the Apostle Paul was. Friendship is costly. It's costly because it's precious. It's also costly because it demands something from us, but joy runs through it. And so we're going to look at the example of Paul and two of his close friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And uh, these three men are all deeply connected together and also deeply connected with the church in Philippi. Um, and they, they are great examples to us of how we can be better friends. And, ri- and really, the focus of this morning is thinking about it's not, it's not so much for us to think about, well, they're not a very good friend to me. It's much more the purpose of this morning is for me to think about how I might be a better friend to them. That's what we're looking for. How we can how we can be better friends and how that will also bring us joy. So let's let's look at these friends of, of Paul. So Philippians chapter two, verse 19, page 692. Let's look first at the example of Timothy. Paul says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. That throughout the New Testament accounts, And uh, the relationship is so close that Paul describes it as being like a father and a son together. And the reality is that probably few of us will ever experience a depth of friendship quite like that of Paul and Timothy. It's an unusually close relationship because it was unusual in how it was formed. Paul is a, a, a Timothy as a young man had had encountered Paul, who'd come to faith in Jesus, and his whole life get, got caught up in the mission that Paul was engaged in. So it, uh, it was a pretty unique kind of set of circumstances. And it was a it was a friendship that's that's task-oriented. And that's important, because sometimes we can think that friendship is just friendship for friendship's sake. But actually, you can see that the reason that Paul and Timothy were so close is because they were engaged in a common task. and And the reality is, I know that the people I tend to be closest with often are those who we're engaged in a common task. We're working together, so uh, with the elders here, with friends, because we're in the task together. That actually is why we're together. That's the basis in some many senses of our friendship. So Paul and Timothy engaged in a common task, and it's a friendship which is utterly genuine. There's nothing, nothing false. There's nothing phony about this friendship. It's a real father and son type relationship. Timothy is. Paul's best friend, his most trusted friend, and that means that Timothy tends to get the special assignments. When Paul needs something done and he can't do it himself, Timothy's the one who goes. And in this case, Paul wants to get to Philippi to see the Christians in Philippi, but he can't because he's in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier awaiting trial, but he really wants to know how the Philippians are doing, and who would be better to go than Timothy Uh, The trouble is that he can't even release Timothy just yet because Paul's waiting to see what's going to happen in his trial. Will he be set free or will he be condemned to death? And so Timothy needs to stay with him to see how the trial works out. But we can see from Paul's description of of Timothy here something of the kind of friend that he was. First thing we can see is that Timothy was Christ-like in his friendship with Paul. That Paul, that, that, that Timothy, sorry, set aside his own interests in order to serve Paul and the gospel. And there were those in Rome who weren't doing that. Paul talks here in verse 21 about others who were looking for their own interests. There were those who claimed to be followers of Jesus, but actually were self-interested rather than interested in Christ and in Paul and the other believers. Now, Timothy puts friendship with Paul ahead of self-interest. And he's he's a loyal son to Paul, and he's like Paul, genuinely concerned for the well-being of the Philippians. And in that, he displays a a Christ-centered, Christ-like friendship. He's showing a genuine concern for Paul and a genuine concern for the church in Philippi. And that's because he's concerned about Christ. His life is built around his friendship with Jesus. And his friendship with Jesus then affects his friendship with Paul and his friendship with the Philippians. If we're not showing genuine concern for one another. Actually, it's not just that we don't show concern for one another, it's that we don't show concern for Christ. Timothy is concerned about Christ, and so he's concerned about Paul, and he's concerned about the Philippians. Now, how concerned are we for one another's spiritual welfare? I'm talking particularly, especially to those of us who are Christians and part of this church. How, how are we doing this? How concerned are we for one another's spiritual welfare? Are we genuinely concerned for one another in this way? Are we these, these kind of friends where we are seeking to encourage and help one another spiritually, to lift one another up spiritually, to keep each other focused on Jesus, to help us to be disciples of Jesus? Are we that kind of a true friend, a Christian who's a f- true friend does this. We help point people to Jesus. We help point each other to Jesus. Actually, also with our friends who don't know Jesus, our concern is to point them to Jesus. That's what real friends do who know Jesus. It's what Timothy did, and Timothy is also someone who Paul expects to cheer him up to spread the joy. Says there in verse nineteen, "I hope to send Timothy to you so that I might I might be cheered by news of you." Paul Paul wants to know how the Philippians are doing. And he's expecting, when he hears how they're doing, to be cheered up by that news. Paul is cheered by good news from the churches. And you know, good news is cheering. It is. When you hear good news, it's good. So when good stuff is happening, don't keep it quiet. Friends share good news in order to encourage one another. And, and the word that Paul uses here, that he wants to be cheered, is an, is an interesting one. Uh, it kind of has different flavors and nuances, doesn't it? You can think about a cheerleader, that Timothy in some way is a cheerleader for Paul. It's not that he's putting on a short skirt and waving bangly spangly things, uh, but a cheerleader, he's encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging Paul on. And that's what real friends do. We kind of cheerlead for each other. You're doing well. Keep pressing on. And friends are also cheering that they make us happier. So I know that when I'm down the dumps, what I need is not just a mope of my own, but I need to be with friends who will cheer me up. And uh, One of the things I'm grateful in terms of church life, and one of the privileges that I have particularly in, in, in serving full-time in a staff capacity in the church with a staff team, is friendship, which cheers me up. It's good to be with the church. I enjoy being with the church. I enjoy being with 150. I enjoy being with... John and the guys on the team in the office. We amuse each other. We cheer each other up. We need that. That's what cheers do. Uh, that's what friends do. They cheer each other on. So, so Timothy is, is Christ-like, and Timothy is someone who cheers Paul up, and he's also someone who's proven his worth. This in verse 22. He's proven his worth. His character's been tested. He's come through. He's, he's proved himself reliable, and true friends pass the test. Are you this kind of friend? Are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? If someone who you claim to be a friend with needs your help, are you, are you actually reliable? Are you there to help them? Is it true friendship? Now, we need to look for these kind of friends. When I'm looking for friends, I want friends who will help me to focus on Jesus. I want friends who will cheer me on. And I want friends who I know are going to be trustworthy. It's the kind of thing to look for in friends. But more importantly, actually, is to be this kind of friend yourself. Am I this kind of friend? And the added dimension for those of us who are Christians is, as Paul describes it with Timothy, it's the interests of Christ. That actually our friendship is shaped, flavoured, filled by the fact that we're, we're concerned about the interests of Christ. We want much to be made of Jesus. He is our best friend. He's brought us into friendship with himself. And that shapes how we relate to our other friends. We're friends like this, we're friends who cheer one another on and are reliable with one another for the sake of the gospel, just as Timothy and Paul were together. That's Timothy. The next friend that Paul talks about is Epaphroditus, verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We know... A lot about Timothy. He pops up all over the place in the New Testament. Epaphroditus only gets a mention here, but it's clear that he was a really significant friend for Paul. And the story of these three men is that when Paul first went to Philippi, first went to preach the gospel, people responded, the church was started. Timothy was with him when he did that. So Paul and Timothy had been there together at the beginning. Epaphroditus was one of the Philippians. So Epaphroditus had responded when Paul had come into town, preached the gospel, and our Epaphroditus was a leader in the church in Philippi. And Paul describes him in a number of amazing ways. He talks about him being a brother. It's family language. If Timothy was a friend like a son, well, Epaphroditus is a friend like a brother. And, of course, brothers and sisters is a normal New Testament form of address. It's how the apostles talk to the churches, brothers and sisters. And Christians are not only friends, but we're brought into family. And one of the things about family is that like them or lump you're stuck with them. But for Paul, it's not just a case of like em or lump I'm stuck with them. Actually, you know, there's a real affection here between those who are part of this church together. So Paul and Epaphroditus are, are like brothers. They've got each other's backs. And this is pretty amazing if you think about where they're coming from. So you've got Paul, who's a Pharisee, which is a strict Jewish sect, would have had nothing to do with people outside uh, the Jewish faith and religion. He's encountered by Jesus. Everything gets turned upside down for him. And then you've got Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus comes from a a pagan background. Actually, his name, Epaphroditus, means honored by Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love and of sex. So you've got Paul the Pharisee, and then you've got Epaphroditus, who's named in honor of a Greek goddess, the Greek goddess of love and sex. And now Paul the Pharisee and Epaphroditus the pagan are transformed by Jesus and have become BFFs. They're best friends forever because of what Jesus has done. The love of Christ is transforming. And so they're brought into family, completely contrasting histories, completely different contrasting characters, brought into family. They're brothers together. Now, how are we doing with the family? If you're part of this church, you've been called into a family. How are you doing with the family? Have we got each other's backs in the way that Paul and Epaphroditus did? Paul then describes Epaphroditus as a worker. As with Timothy, these are friends who are engaged in the same task. And it's focused on the same task which binds us together. It's doing stuff together which helps cement friendship. That's why we put a strong emphasis upon team here at Gateway. We can't do anything without team. Everything happens because of teams, friends working together. We're called as friends into work together. We've got tasks to do at this at this point in, in our history. We've got tasks to do together as we uh, prepare to reshape things in seven weeks' time. There's work for us to do. There's a lot of work, actually, for us to do in organizing things, in shaping up fresh teams, as as people move around between different locations, there's work for us to do. We're called into an adventure of faith as we experience God's purity at work amongst us and we share his compassion with the world. There's a, a task that God has given to us to do. So if we're going to be friends, we need to be working together as well. How are we doing as workers? Are we invested in the task together? Paul describes Paphroditus as a soldier. You know, the Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. And for Paul and the Philippians, this was very evident. Paul, of course, was chained to a Roman soldier as he awaited trial. The kind of conflict, the fight of Christianity was clear to him. And the Philippians were beleaguered. They were in a tough spot. They knew what it was to be in a fight. And true friends fight for one another. It's one of the marks of friendship. You've got friends you know will Fight for you, stick up for you. That if things get tough, they're not going to run away, but they're going to help you. They're going to put the shield up, they're going to get the sword up, they're going to fight for you. Of course, for those of us who are Christians, this extends to the whole body of Christ, even those we don't know. One of the things that we're called to do is to remember those who are suffering for the gospel. I was just reading um, on Friday an article on the BBC website about uh, Pakistani Christians who've escaped to Thailand and, and being held in jail in appalling conditions in Thailand. We don't know them. I don't know them, but we, we're to fight for them. We're to stand in prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. It's what Christians do. And more intimately, in our 150s, in our 30s, in our 3s, we're to fight for one another. It's what Paul and Epaphroditus did. So how are we fighting? Are we Are we helping each other? When we see our friends in need, are we Are we putting on the armor of God together? Are we getting up the shield of faith together? Are we wielding the sword, the word of God together? Are Are we watching each other's backs? Because that's what Christians do. We're called to be soldiers together. Paul describes Paphroditus as a messenger. The Greek word is apostolos, an apostle, one who's sent to help, to encourage, to instruct. Paul wants to go to Philippi, and he's hoping that he'll be set free and will get to Philippi. He's intending to send Timothy to Philippi, but at the moment he needs Timothy with him. And so it's necessary, he says, that Epaphroditus goes to Philippi. And Paul says that Epaphroditus is longing for the Philippians. Paul has already talked in uh, chapter 1 of this letter about how he longs for the Philippians. And and true friends long for each other. You want to be with your friends. And Epaphroditus is is distressed. Part of the reason why he's longing for the Philippians is he knows they're distressed about him. They're concerned for him because of the things that he's experienced. He's been ill, he's almost died, and they're concerned for him. And one of the things that friends want to do is to minimize the stresses of our friends. So Epaphroditus knows that the Philippians are uh, anxious about him, and so he wants to go to them so that they, he can uh, calm their concerns. So Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians so that they may rejoice And that's also going to make Paul less anxious, because Paul's worried. Now, this is interesting, because this is the letter of joy. Again and again throughout this letter, Philippians, Paul's saying, Rejoice, rejoice, be happy, be happy. And here he's saying, Look, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow if Epaphroditus had died, and I'm feeling really anxious about how you guys are doing, because you know that Epaphroditus has been really ill. And so I need to do something here to try and calm everybody's anxieties. Epaphroditus is worried, the Philippians are worried, Paul's worried. They're all rejoicing, but they're all worried. And Paul wants to do something to help them worry less, and so he's going to send Epaphroditus back to them. Now, a friendship does create anxiety, because if you've got a real friend, you're concerned for your friends. Friendship is costly. Epaphroditus had nearly died. If he had died, it would have broken Paul's heart, and the Philippians would have lost someone vital to them. By the mercy of God, he hasn't died. He's been uh, brought back to health. But Paul wants Epaphroditus and the Philippians to be reunited so they can be happy together again and so that Paul doesn't have to be so anxious about them all. And so he's sending Epaphroditus as a messenger, as an apostle to the church in Philippi. So how are we doing this? How, how are we doing it at counting the cost, the genuine cost of what friendship involves? If we're going to be real friends together, then that's going to create some causes of anxiety if our friends are going through a hard time we're we're meant to feel it we're not just meant to cut ourselves off we're we're meant to feel the concerns the stresses the pressures that our friends feel we're meant to share in one another's burdens and we're also meant to communicate together paul couldn't just get on facebook he couldn't send an email he couldn't pick up the phone would have taken a couple of uh, weeks at least i guess for a letter to travel between philippi and rome even with effective roman communication systems Uh, but he wants to communicate, and he's doing that by sending Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi. And friends communicate. We communicate our needs. We communicate our joys. We talk to one another. We share together. We count the cost of friendship. Are you that kind of friend? And then the last phrase that Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus, he says he's been a minister to my need. Epaphroditus came from Philippi in the first place to Paul in order to make the Philippians' love for Paul tangible for him. And that's what friends do. Friends share the love. Epaphroditus has supplied Paul's need, and and that would have been, I'm sure, kind of emotionally, it would have been... Epaphroditus coming and saying, look back in Philippi, the guys are right behind you, they're praying for you, they're seeking God for you, they're praying for your release, they're praying for your witness in Rome, they're, we're standing with you. But it also seems to have been financial assistance. We can uh, glean that from further on in the letter. In verse 18 of chapter 4, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We know from other accounts in in the Bible that uh, uh, the Philippians were a generous church. They were a poor church. They didn't have much resources, but they were extraordinarily generous in their financial giving. And it seems that they'd sent some money with Epaphroditus to to support Paul. And the reason why that was important was because if you were a prisoner of Rome, as Paul was, what Rome provided was just the soldier you were chained to and nothing else. And so Paul would have had to have paid for everything else himself, even his own kind of jail. So it, it was a form of house arrest he was in, but he would have had to have rented a room which would become his jail. He'd have to pay for it himself, and then he would have had to have paid for his, his food for himself as well. And how do you do that if you're a prisoner? Well, you need some friends who are going to stand with you. And so the Philippians had sent some cash with Epaphroditus so that Paul could be supplied in his need while he was in Rome. How are we doing at ministering to one another? Are you the kind of friend who serves others? It's very easy to immediately turn this around and think, well, how am I being served? How am I being ministered to? Let, let's not go there now. Let's. L- l- how am I doing? How are you doing? Are you ministering to the needs of others? Are you serving others? Are you being like the Philippians? Are you being like Epaphroditus in their friendship with Paul? Timothy and Epaphroditus were particular friends of Paul's I guess that rather than being in the kind of the 150 I guess they were in his his group of 30 or his group of 12 certainly Timothy was in that group of three maybe Epaphroditus was there as well they were they were friends that brought Paul joy but it's not a sugar-coated thing it's not fluffy Epaphroditus had nearly died because of his determination to serve Jesus and to be a friend of Paul that's stressful Someone you're, you're really close to almost dies, especially if they almost die because of what they're doing to try to help you. That's stressful. This is life and death stuff. There's no, there's no Facebook fluff in the relationship between Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. This is, this is real life and death stuff they're engaged in. But it's friendship where joy is evident In the midst of the reality, the hardship, the tough times, Timothy and Epaphroditus pull together there. They're happy about their friendship, and their friendship brings them happiness. And so for us, let's work at our friendships. Let's work at those friendships with the, that little group, the two or the three, the four or the five people we think we're really close to. And if you're not even in that place, if you can't even think of like three or four people, you think, I could really, I really know they're with me. Well, you need to work on that. We need to have, we need those we need those three people who you know you can rely on. We need that slightly bigger group as well. We need the the platoon-sized group. We need the dozen like Jesus had or the 30 like a platoon of soldiers might have. We need that bigger kind of crowd who we relation to regularly and chatting to routinely. And we, n- we need the 150. We need that bigger sense of community, that sense of this is a company of people who can get some stuff together and we're watching each other's backs. Now, you can't be friends. You can't be best friends with everybody in that 150. 150 is not a big number, but you can't, you can't be, be best friends even with them. You can't even be best friends with a dozen people, really. You can, you can have a small group you're best friends with. But we all need these circles of friendship. And let's us be good friends. Let's be as reliable as Timothy was. And as all-in, as risk-taking as Epaphroditus was. Because when we extend ourselves in that kind of friendship, we open ourselves up to experience joy, to experience happiness. And for us Christians, this does have this extra edge, this extra dimension of Christ-focusedness. Because for us Christians, we can say, I'm a friend of God's. That's where it starts, that However you think you're doing, whether you're feeling an abundance of friendship or you're feeling a bit lonely at the moment, whether you can immediately think of three friends, yes, I know I can rely on them. Whether you struggle to name them, well, I'm not sure who that might be. You are a friend of Jesus. That's where it starts. And if we're brought into friendship with Christ, that makes other friendships possible it made it possible for Paul and Epaphroditus to be friends when they should never have been. It made it possible for the Philippians to give generously to support Paul and his ministry when they should never have done that. They should look for their own self interests Christ, our friend, makes friendship possible. We're called together as a family, as workers, as soldiers together. And so let's look to Jesus and let's work in our friendships and let's experience joy. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Sovereign Lord, I thank you that you do bring us into family. Thank you, Jesus, that when we respond to you in faith, we're adopted by our Father in heaven. And Jesus, you declare us then to be your brothers and sisters. And it's remarkable dynamic where both we recognize your sovereign authority. So like Paul can say, as he described himself, I'm a slave of Christ. But also we see you, Jesus, saying to your disciples. I've no longer called you servants but friends and that's extended to us now, your disciples here, that Jesus calls us his friends. Lord, what a privilege. And so I pray that we might enjoy our friendship with you, King Jesus, and that our friendship with others might be Christ-centered and Christ-interested. I pray for us here that, Lord God, those of us who know and love you, that we would help one another to be Christ-focused, would help one another in the task of proclaiming the gospel you've given us. Lord, I pray for our friends who don't know you, that we'd, we'd remember actually our, our, our purpose, our part of it, what would increase our joy is for them to come into friendship with you as well, that, that you've given us friends who don't know you, so that we might introduce them to you, our greatest friends. And I pray that you would help us to do this with increasing faithfulness and increasing fruitfulness. Thank you, Jesus, you have called us onto an adventure together. We're soldiers together in the task that you've given us. Thank you that you've called us into living lives of following you, of living holy lives, becoming increasingly like Jesus, our best friend. And thank you you've called us to display your mercy, your kindness, your compassion to others, that our spheres of friendship might increase and grow. And I pray for us here, Lord, that you would help us to be friends together and uh, to be friends to those who don't know you. I pray, Lord, for any here this morning who are feeling lonely. Are you feeling a lack of friends? That, Jesus, you would help them to reach out to others, help them to be a good friend to others and to receive friendship in return and to know joy in that. I thank you for what Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus endured and struggled through together and the joy they had in it all. And I pray that we, like them, might know true friendship. In your precious name, amen. Amen. John.